0: here's a fact about me. I absolutely despise wandering. Seriously. Every every once in a while, my precious wife, Roxanne, will ask if I want to go to the shopping mall with her. And of course, uh, immediately I'll ask, to get what? Right? I mean, that's a logical question. It's an intelligent question, at least from my particular view of the world, to which my Precious wife, Roxanne will say, nothing really, just to look around, you know, walk around. To which I'll say, are you nuts? I mean, really, who would want to do that? for, For me, the mall does not exist for wandering. The mall exists for winning. That's my view of the whole thing. It's a competition. Everything's a competition, but if you're going to win at the shopping mall, there are a couple of things that have to be true. You First of all, and this is a must, you have to know what you're going for. You, you have to. There's no winning if you don't know what you're going for. Uh, secondly, you, you absolutely have to know which store at the mall has it in stock for the cheapest price. There's no winning. If you don't have that down. And then the final part of really making the shopping experience a positive competition is you have to route out the best entry and exit from the mall once you get that product so that you can win. Now that makes going to the shopping mall a blast. But why in the world? Yeah, thank you very much. There are some people who agree with me. But... But why in the world would I want to go to this huge monstrosity of hedonism in order just to walk around and do nothing? It's crazy. Now, I know right now many of you are thinking, this guy's a hopeless romantic. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. But I need a reason. I need a destination if I'm going to do something like that. So Roxanne who has been my partner, my beloved wife for 33 years, who loves me and understands me, has finally come up with a way to meet my needs when she asks questions like that, right? So now she'll say, Brad, would you like to go to the shopping mall to save your marriage? Oh, now there's a reason, there's a compelling motivation to go to the mall. And she'll stay with me if I go. And because she loves and understands me, she also knows that I need a destination, you know. I need a goal. And she says, here's the destination, here's the goal. You go to the mall with me, and you'll have a happy wife, which means you might have a happy life. And so there's, there's the destination. So she's really figured this thing out. So now, for love's sake... And for happiness' sake, I now sometimes wander the shopping mall, but not any more than I have to. Now, here's what I want to ask. How many of you can relate with my view on this experience? Raise your hand. Thank you very much. Across genders, by the way, that's fantastic. How many of you can relate with my wife's view of this issue? Raise your hand. What is wrong with you people? You have problems, I tell you. And I know we're all different. But let me go in a different direction. How many of you, sometimes in life, feel like you're just wandering? I mean, in life, this thing we have where we breathe and we live and we get up and we go to sleep and we do all this different stuff, and yet you're just wandering I have to tell you, it happens to me a lot. It happens to a lot of people a lot, where we're just here. I I think a lot of us are in this place where we feel like we're just marking time. We're just not really going anywhere. We're not living for anything specific, and we're certainly not living for anything that's significant. We're just wandering. Here's what I believe. Even if you love wandering around at the mall for no reason at all, I, I imagine you despise feeling like you're just wandering in life. I mean, we've only got one life. One life. Only one crack at this thing. And who wants to waste it wandering? Not living for significance. Not living for something specific. Not living on purpose, but just wandering. No one wants to. And yet, I believe the problem is that this is exactly what we do by nature. You see, the problem is that by nature, we are like it or not, far from God, which means by nature we are forced to wander in life because God's the only one that can provide a North Star. God's the one who created us and wrapped us up and designed us. He's the only one that can help us understand purpose and direction and meaning in life. He's the only one that can provide it. And yet by nature, we're literally far from God, which means we're forced to wander. No direction No real meaning, no real purpose, no real winning in life. In fact, I I think I can define life in three sentences of two words each. We're born, we wander, we die. Now that's not the stuff of fairy tales, is it? In fact, if it was the stuff of fairy tales, we wouldn't read fairy tales to our kids. I mean, talk about a nightmare, and yet... This is reality. This is not the stuff of great poetry. This is not the stuff of great fiction. This isn't what makes a good American movie because we like good endings too much. But this is reality. We are so much locked into a life of wandering. Look at how God says it, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Speaking of those who don't know God, he says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. They're, they're, they're separated from the life of God. They can't find it. They're just wandering through this world, created with value and for a purpose, but not finding it. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, every single person who's ever been born had the capacity to know God. He is clearly seen in all that he made. But although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then listen to this. Although they claimed to be wise, and intelligent, they became fools. They literally exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. You talk about foolishness. Exchanging the eternal God and the meaning of knowing Him and eternity for fabricated and manufactured little things that look like animals and birds and people and calling them God. Talk about foolishness. Talk about crazy. Worshipping the created thing which is temporary and meaningless unless it's attached to the Creator, the one who created that thing who is eternal. Oh my gosh. We're wandering in this world because we're far from God. By nature, we live without God and, as a consequence, for nothing. We wander. We think we're smart, but we're stupid. We think we're creating success, but we're going in the opposite direction. Jesus said it best. What good is it to to gain the whole world but to lose your own soul? And yet, this is what we do by nature. We wander. We get up. We get on the conveyor belt of life and we allow this world to manufacture us after the mold of everyone else. It's high time we break the mold that we fix the problem. But we have to understand this truth first. God makes it very clear that we will never find our purpose or meaning in life. We will never fulfill our purpose in life apart from a relationship with God. It's impossible. You can't have a, a story without an author. And we're trying to live out the story we were put on this planet for without a relationship with the one who wrote the story. And so we're having to make it up as we go. We're living lives of improvisation, and it's not working out very well. There's no way to find and fulfill your purpose until you have a relationship with God. Jesus said it. Look at John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there are a bunch of literalists who love to twist the meanings of Scripture into nothingness. Oh, apart from me, you can do nothing. I can do something. Watch this. What are you going to do with that? That's not what it's saying. Apart from me, you can do that. Apart from me, you will never live the life you were intended to live. Apart from me, you will never live a life on purpose apart from me you will never do anything of eternal value apart from me you will never live out the value i created for for you never will never find or fulfill our purpose unless we have a relationship with god look at john 10:10 10, 10. jesus says this is why i've come so you'll have life and life in all of its fullness now this is where i think we have to put the pieces of the puzzle together Because we do have minds, we do have the ability to intellectually reason through some things and saying, okay, if God put us on this planet, how come we can't find our purpose? How come it's so difficult? How come we're just wandering? How come we can't find and fulfill our purpose unless we get a relationship with God? Why don't we naturally have a relationship with God? What's all this stuff about? Well, let's look at the journey by taking one puzzle piece at a time. It all begins all the way back where God created. We were created in God's image. We were created in the image of God. Now, if you're starting this week with our series, Break the Mold, you need to know it actually started last week. Thrilled to have you. Glad you're here. But we put the talks online for free so that you can catch up. I talked about how the original mold that we were created to be poured into was God's image. But we broke that mold, and we decided to create our own image and to go our own way, and it's not worked out very, very well. We were created in the image of God. Look at Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them in his image. And Jesus is the only man to ever walk on the face of this planet who actually bore that image properly. He actually reflected the image of God. Look at Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We were created in God's image, but we broke that mold and we started creating our own. But Jesus was the perfect reflection of the image of God. You want to know what God looks like in flesh? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God would do in circumstances? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know what Godly love in human form looks like? Look at Jesus. I mean, he's the image of God. Now, to really understand the image of God, you have to understand what it includes. And if we're created in the image of God, that means we're created with a mind, with an intellectual capacity, the ability to reason, because God has a mind. Unlimited in its scope. Ours is finite, limited. But we were created in God's image with an intellectual center, with a mind. We were created in God's image, which means that includes a heart. Our compassion center, our emotional center, our love center. Because God is a God of heart who loves, who cares. We were created in God's image, which means we were created with a will, because God acts and God chooses. He has a will. And so we were given a desire center, our will. And that's what the image of God, at least in part, looks like. But let me, let me paint the picture for you, okay? God knows and God loves and God acts. And when God created us, created Adam, created us, he gave us a mind so that we could know. We could know him, we could know his truth, we could know ourselves, we could know one another. We have the ability to intellectually reason, unlike lower creation and lower animals. We reflect his image, we have a mind. God created us with a heart so that we could love, love him, love others, care about what he cares about. God created us with a will so that we could choose, so that we could act. And at least in part, this is what it means to be created in God's image. Mind, heart, will. But then there's this other piece to this puzzle, if we're going to understand our present context. We were created, not just in the image of God, but we were created in the image of God so that we could have a relationship with God. We were created for a relationship with God. Of course. Because, you see, you can have a relationship with a a lower animal. I mean, I'd be curious, how many of you are dog lovers here? Okay. How many of you are cat lovers here? Okay. You are the people that like to shop for no reason at all, right? The rest of us, okay. okay. All right. so, I mean, but you can, have a, you can have a relationship with a, a lower animal. But if you really want intimacy and oneness, you need someone who has the same image in them that you do, has an intellectual center, has a love center, has a, has a choice or an action center. I mean, you need someone with mind, heart, and will. So God created us to have a relationship with him so that we could think in oneness with him and love in oneness with him and act in accordance with him. It's how he created us. In fact, look at the description I have here of a healthy relationship with God. A healthy relationship with God involves the mind, the heart, and the will of a person knowing and then submitting to the mind, heart, and will of God. This is important. It creates intimacy. It creates oneness. It creates a relationship. It's what we were created for. And though our minds are not God's minds, our minds are very limited and very finite. We only can think in terms of our present experience and past-present experience of the things that we can touch in this moment. God's mind is unlimited, but in relationship with him, we have the capacity to think like him, to know that his truth is the truth, and if we act upon that truth, we will never go wrong. He he gave us a heart, and though our heart is finite and limited and can be very influenced by all kinds of things that but it can relate to his heart which is always right and always good and always desiring the right thing and always acting in love and justice and so our heart could could love what his heart loves and in so doing all of our desires and everything would be right and then he gave us a will so that we could act upon his will knowing that what he thinks is right and what he loves is right, we could then choose to act upon that. And in so doing, we would have this profound relationship with God and we would experience what he created us to experience. It's good. Jesus is the perfect picture of this. If you want, a, if you want an ultimate picture of it, Jesus is the perfect picture. Because he's the only person who ever truly used his mind, heart, and will to fully submit to the mind, heart, and will of God. And all you have to do is look at John 17, 4, what he says. He says, he's in his final prayer, really, a big prayer time before going to the cross, and he's talking to the Father, and he says, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I've lived my entire life for your pleasure. What I've thought is what you thought, and what I loved is what you loved, and what I is what you willed. I've given you glory. I've completed everything you gave me to do. And if you want a specific picture of it, just before he was going to be betrayed and beaten and nailed to a cross and take all of the darkness of our sin on himself, he was praying in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember, he had a mind and he had a heart and he had a will And he was getting ready to experience the most horrific of events. He who only knew light was going to take upon the darkness of all of mankind. He who had only known love was going to experience not only the hatred and vile nature of the world, but he was going to experience the Father turning his back on him because he was taking our sin upon himself. He who only knew goodness was going to experience all evil in his life. And he was in the garden praying. And look what he said in Luke twenty-two forty-two: 42. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Of course. He had a mind to think. He goes, I, why would I want to go through this? He had a heart to care and to feel. And he goes, well, why, I don't want to do this in the worst kind of way. But he also had a will upon which he could act. And he could choose to act in accordance with what God thought or what he thought, what God loved, or what he loved. And look at how he ended. he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus didn't follow his own thinking patterns and his own feeling patterns because he understood in each moment he was locked in that moment and he could make the wrong decision, but his mind and his heart allowed him to connect to God's mind and heart and to then act upon life in God's way. And he did, and he became and is the most exalted to have ever lived the highest honored, the one that each and every one of us will stand in front of one day because he had God's image and he carried it out in relationship with God. But that brings us to another piece of this puzzle if we're going to understand it. We were created in God's image so that we could be created for a relationship with God, but every single one of us has experienced our relationship with God destroyed by sin. I mean, our relationship with God has been destroyed by sin, and I get it. I mean, some of you just went, what? It's like, sin is not a common word in our vernacular these days, is it? I mean, how often do you use sin in your life? How many of you have ever walked into a workplace review and questions of sin were presented to you? I, it just, it's just it's a word that doesn't work. It, we don't even get it. It sounds so irrelevant to our lives, but it's not when you understand it. Now, some of us have been taught by religion, you know, sin's all the bad stuff, as defined by them, and, and, you know, and sin's all the good stuff you don't do, as defined by them. And No, sin is so much bigger than that. Those are the consequences of sin. Here's what sin is, if you want to know. Sin is the decision to believe that our minds know better and more than God knows. This is what Eve did. God said, that tree, man, if you eat it, you're going to die. That tree, you shouldn't touch it. But she started going, it looks good to me. It looks like it's good for food. It looks like it's good for wisdom. It looks like it's going to make... It looks like it's the best tree in the garden. And so she decided that her mind knew more and better than God, and she acted on it. That's sin. It's when we make the choice to allow our heart to love and desire things that are contrary to what God loves and desires, which is what Eve did in the garden. He hated that tree because it represented the destruction that would come to us if we used our free will to choose to throw him out of our lives. But she started loving that tree. It looks good for me. I want it. It looks like it'll bring me pleasure. That was her desire center. But she could have stopped there. Remember, Jesus felt like not going to the cross. Jesus cared about avoiding the cross. But Jesus acted upon what he knew to be true, God's mind, what he knew to be right, God's heart. But she didn't. She then used her will to choose and to act contrary to God's will. This is sin. And here's what you need to know. We've all chosen it, every one of us, and it's destroyed our relationship with God. Romans 3.23, bottom shelf, easy sentence, profound meaning, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is messed up in mind and messed up in heart and messed up in will because of it. Now, I'm I'm a water lover. I absolutely love water. And I love it when a A pond or a lake is crystal smooth, and it's really interesting because I love to disrupt things. I love throwing stuff in smooth ponds and smooth lakes, and when you do, as you know, it creates concentric circles. There's an effect. Well, there's an effect to throwing sin into our relationship with God, and what's the effect? Well, here's what happens. Our minds can no longer properly know or understand God. Because our minds will never function properly in their finite capacity, detached from God's infinite capacity. Never. You see, God's still revealing himself on a daily basis. God's still present and revealing himself. It's just that our minds can't grasp it. This is why people will say, well, you know, I don't believe that miracles can happen. And I don't believe this can happen. I don't believe this can happen. Because our minds, as intelligent as they may be, are disconnected from the reality of God. And we can't understand it. In fact, this is why he who is most essential and real in life seems so unessential and unreal in life. It's because our minds have been messed up. Look at how the Bible talks about it in Ephesians 4. It says you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, those who have rejected God in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. I told you last weekend that Ephesians 4, 17 to the end is the whole foundation for this whole issue of breaking the mold, and here it is. I, I mean, our minds have been messed up, Romans 3, 11. There is no one who understands, no one. Now, people go, wait a minute, no one who understands? There are some really smart people in this world. Yeah, there are some genius smart people in this world, genius smart. They can weave formulas and understand analytics that I can't even begin to understand. But though they think they're wise, they're becoming fools because their mind is detached from the right starting place. God knows best. God's truth is right. And anything they weave with their high IQ that doesn't start with God always ends up in the wrong place, which is exactly where we are. This is why you have all kinds of really intelligent books saying really stupid things. Dumb arguments, because the Bible says it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. And no matter how smart you are, if you start outside of that, you're going to end in the wrong place. Our minds have been so messed up, we can't see straight. But we think we can see straight. We think we've got the whole thing figured out and we've got it all done, just like Eve did in the garden. And you know what happens? Let me just kind of tell you the story of your life because it's the story of my life. You, you, you fabricate the formulas, you fabricate the ideas, you fabricate the plan, you've, every I is dotted and every T is crossed and you know it's going to work and then you choose to do it. And what happens? doesn't work out that way because your mind doesn't have the capacity separated from God. There's another ripple effect because of sin. It's the fact that our hearts have been messed up. Our hearts can no longer properly love God. Oh, we think our hearts are fine and we think our love's good, but how's your love life been working out for you? Everything's perfect in that relationship, right? Your spouse says, will you just be with me and go to the mall? And you say, no, I need a plan, you know. I mean, we've all got some problems with our heart. We can't love God properly. Our hearts are naturally messed up. Our hearts naturally tend to love the wrong things, destructive and empty things. Have you noticed that, man, you can just be so in love with something or someone and you know it's right and you test it by every single pattern and then you jump in and then it's oh so wrong? It's because our hearts are messed up. Look at Ephesians 4 again, verse 18. Separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Our hearts are messed up, so we miss God. Romans 3.11, there is no one who seeks God. Our hearts are messed up, so we're seeking and loving the wrong things. And then the last ripple effect I'll share with you is our wills are messed up. They can no longer properly choose God or choose His ways. Ephesians 4.19, having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. They keep thinking that that's going to lead them to what they're looking for, but it gives them emptiness again, and they keep doing it over and over and over and over again. Romans three twelve, All have turned away from God. They have together become worthless. We broke the wrong mold. We broke the image of God instead of the image of the evil one. There is no one who does good, not even one. (laughs) Realize, we still have our minds, we still have our hearts, we still have our wills, but they're no longer in sync with God's mind and God's heart and God's will. And out of sync, it always leads to destruction. It makes it impossible to reflect His image, to fulfill our purpose, to find our purpose. Because of sin, all we can do is wander, which is where we are. But see, we don't think we're wandering. We think we've got it all together. We, we think we're unbelievably wise and have it all together. But the truth is we're not wise. We're foolish. We think our hearts are good and pure, but they're really not. We we think we're making great choices, but time always shows we're not. It's a mess. But but there's some good news. Here's the good news, are you ready? We can break this mold. We're on the conveyor belt by nature and we're being formed after the pattern of messed up minds and messed up hearts and messed up wills. I mean, we we are wandering through the world, but Jesus made it possible for us to do what the guy in our bumper did, to jump off the conveyor belt, to smash to smithereens all this junk and lie and deception that's been told to us, and to actually start living out a new mold. In fact, here's the piece of the puzzle you really need. Jesus made a relationship with God possible again. Jesus made it possible for us to not live in the despair and the confusion and the frustration of a world where we can't find the point, where we can't find the meaning, where we can't experience significance. Jesus made a relationship with God possible again. Jesus made it possible for us to reflect God's image again, to know and fulfill our purpose. Through Jesus, here's how. We can actually experience a new mind, a new heart a new will, we can experience a new life, no more wandering but truly living. Look at how the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, and it's only in Jesus because only he set the right pattern, and then only he died in payment for our sin so that we could experience the new life of his resurrection in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. Here's how you were taught regarding your former way of life, the old mold that you were pouring into with the messed up mind, heart, and will. Put off your old self. It's corrupted. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, there's a ton to digest in this, a ton. And we're going to, in this series, be walking through specifics about the mind and how it's messed up, and how God created the ability to make it new, and what that means. We're going to be looking at the heart, and we're going to be looking at the, well, we're going to be looking at this stuff. But but here's the application for this weekend. Since there's nothing more essential in life than a relationship with God, and yet our relationship with God has been messed up. Here needs to be our application. We need to break the mold, and we need to make our relationship with God the first and highest priority of life. Most people, that's not the first and highest priority of their life. If you would take the time log of your last week, and I know all of you keep time logs of your weeks. I know that. It's just, come on, who wouldn't, right? (laughs) But if you would take a time log of your last week, I bet you a relationship with God wasn't the highest and first pursuit of your life. I bet you your highest pursuit of life was striving for the things that only God can give you security, purpose, value, meaning, provision. But see, you think you have to do it. Your mind tells you you have to do it. Your heart tells you if you don't do it, you're going to hate it. And so your will acts upon that. And the truth is you're messing up everything. You're patterning yourself after the wrong deal. We need to make God's relationship with us the priority. And, of course, if that's going to happen it's obvious we need to start by having a relationship with God. Now, this this is where religion comes in and messes everything up. Religion comes in and tries to take the mind that we have and the heart that we have and the will that we have and get us doing new things. The only problem is nothing changes. Whereas Jesus wants to come in and give us a new mind, a new heart, and a new will. Coming to Northridge Church doesn't give you a new mind, new heart, and new will. Becoming religious doesn't get you there. Doing works or actions of goodness doesn't get you there. There's only one way to have a relationship with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. I mean, look at Acts chapter 20, verse 21. It says, "...I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, all of humanity, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus." This is what we need. Not new religion, not new this, not new that. We need this. And what's it say? You need to know the word repentance means to turn. This is repentance. Okay? And what are we to turn from? We're to turn from the pattern that we've been following. We're to turn from trusting our own capacity to think. We're to turn from our own loves and desires. We're to turn from our own actions To what? To God. Turn to God. But there's only one way we can restore our relationship with God now that it's been blown to smithereens. And how is that? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it possible for the messed up mind, heart, and will of each and every one of us to be paid for through the death of his on the cross and to be made new through the resurrection. But we have to receive him. How? By faith. Just before I finish this talk, I'm going to ask if you'd just bow with me in a moment of prayer. I'm going to give you one final big application, but if you'd just bow with me in a moment of prayer. I believe there are some of us here who you might be really religious or irreligious, but you've never ever begun a relationship with Him. Pray with me. Take my words and make them yours. Repent. Turn to God through faith in Jesus. Just say, God I've been trusting myself, doing what I thought was right, pursuing what I cared about and loved, and acting upon it. But I haven't been following you. I've sinned against you, and so I'm repenting of that. I'm turning from that, and I'm turning to you by putting my faith in Jesus. Jesus, you died for my sin, and I'm trusting you to forgive me And you rose again to give me new life, give me a new mind, a new heart, and a new will. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, before I give you this last application point, I I just can't encourage you enough to let me know. We've put together some information about ways that you can build this relationship with God further, and all you have to do if you're in one of our live services is take a connection card and fill it out. It's in our program. And then the bottom it says, today I pray to receive Jesus. Check off that circle. And then there are boxes at every exit door, all you have to do is throw it in there and we'll give you information about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And if you're watching church online, just hit that what next step button. Thrilled that you're part of this and we'll do the same thing for you. Here's, Here's another reality. Once you have a relationship with God, you need to make that relationship with Him your first pursuit. Your first priority. Look at Jesus in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Instead of seeking first all the things that only God can give you, seek first God and his ways, and all these things will fall into their proper place. Make him your first pursuit. So this weekend, what I decided to do is I decided to give you the decision. There are lots of applications, lots of decisions you can make, but this is the official break-the-mold decision for this weekend. Now, if someone comes along and tells you that they're giving you the decision for break-the-mold, and it's not this one, it's not the official one, so be careful. This is the official break-the-mold decision. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. Uh, Martha was really busy doing a bunch of stuff. Her sister Mary was sitting around at Jesus' feet. Martha was P.O.'d that Mary wasn't helping. So she went to Jesus to see if she could get him P.O.'d. She didn't realize Jesus would never be P.O.'d. Ticked off maybe, but never P.O.'d. You get that, right? Okay. So, so she went, and she says, look at what Mary's doing, and look at what Jesus said. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The official break the mold decision this weekend. Make your relationship with God your one thing. Because when you make your relationship with God your one thing, you're choosing to experience the life of everything. But when you make your one thing something else, you miss out on everything that you're looking for. Break the mold. Now generally, once I would say a concluding statement like that, break the mold, you'd be watching my Heine walk off the platform, right? But I'm staying here because I'm going to break the mold this week and um, I've asked them to lock the doors. and I'm just going to give another talk. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got an audience here. I figured I could just go after it, right? And, and, and yeah. You're clapping now. Three minutes from now, you wouldn't be. I understand. But but actually, I, just, I wanted to share a, a, just a special kind of an announcement. Um, for literally almost five years now, I've been praying for God to open the door for us to do something that I've had the privilege of doing in the past that has literally helped to spiritually transform those who go with us in their spiritual life in ways I've not seen um, in other things. And that is to go to Israel, and 2008, the, the whole economy collapsed, as we know, and it's been very hard. We've all been focused on that. All of us have experienced losses. The church, obviously, was hit in large ways, and none of us have fully recovered, or most of us haven't, but, but enough has gone on. That I've been putting out leads, and I've been kind of sensing, you know, uh, the abilities and interests of people, and where God's at in this, and just this last week, I finally... Um, Made the decision, it's time, we're gonna go. And I've been putting out, you know, kind of questions and asking people, so some of the spots have actually already been filled, but we wanna open up to others who'd come. The dates are this year, May 13 through 24, May 13 through 24, just before Memorial Day weekend. There are limited spots, there's some stress involved in this, very limited spots. We have the capacity to take 44 people. And like I said, some of these have already been filled. We've put information on the website, northridgechurch.com slash Israel. You can get all the information you want. I'm actually going to give an informational meeting on Wednesday night before New Life Plus. If you're interested, you can get ideas from the website about that. You need to know why only 44... We take a more intimate and special and spiritualized view of these trips where we hike in and we experience it in different ways. And I want to be close and build relationships with the people that are there so we don't want to take tour buses, 300 people and all that stuff. So at least at this point. And so that's why. And if you want to start a registration process, you can do that at that site as well. It's going to be an impacting thing. I know not everybody can do it, but if you're interested, hope to see you maybe once tonight or hear from you. Thanks, everybody. Go break the mold. <clears throat>